Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. I am a fan of two different Let's Play groups on YouTube, one of them being The Runaway Guys, and the other being The Straw Hat No. Both of them have influenced me over the years to pick up certain games or revisit other ones, and they mostly do their own things. They're very different styles, very different from each other. I don't think they even really acknowledge each other's existence at all. But recently, and by recently I mean like two to three months ago, they both played through the first Pikmin game, completely coincidental, and it was really interesting to see very different experiences. The Runaway guys play through, someone was playing Pikmin for the first time, discovering all of its intricacies and its ups and downs the hard way. The Straw Hat No playthrough was borderline expert. It was almost going to be a speed run of doing the whole game in six days, but then it wasn't. But it still showed just how one could break the game over their knee if they knew exactly what to do. This is a game that invites a lot of different playstyles, and all of them can take you to the good ending. And that's something I can always appreciate about the Pikmin series in general. The original game was first released for Nintendo GameCube in 2001 as one of the launch titles, before seeing a re-release as part of Nintendo Wii's New Play Control series in 2008 in Japan. Everywhere else, it was 2009. And, oh my gosh, Pikmin is almost 20 years old. It is, what, I, I think 18 years old now? Pikmin is an adult. Wow. These days, Splatoon is considered to be Nintendo's youngest child. But before 2015, there's a period of time where Pikmin was the new Nintendo series. Just take a look at Smash Bros. Brawl. Notice how many franchises get playable characters, and they all originated from the 80s or 90s. Spoiler alert, everyone except for Pikmin. And this was in 2008, after Pikmin had already been around for seven years and had two games. I could never find it again, but I'm always reminded of an interview or an article with Sakurai, and he was commenting on how... the same thing, really. How... All the characters in Smash Brothers are from really old series. Pikmin was the only really new one, at least the only new one to get a character. This was amended in Super Smash Bros. 4 when Wii Fit, The Miis, Xenoblade, and Bayonetta all got content included. Even Kid Icarus, technically, since most of its content was from the recent Kid Icarus Uprising instead of just generic angelic imagery. And then Smash Bros. Ultimate took it even farther by introducing Splatoon, finally, and even giving us some Persona 5 stuff. That's not even getting into Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem becoming a lot more prominent since Melee and Brawl. So these days, Pikmin doesn't really stand out as much. It's no longer the new Nintendo series. And not only did Splatoon inherit the title, but they ran away with it. Splatoon was a smash hit, and Nintendo made sure to capitalize on it. They played it smart. Meanwhile, Pikmin it has a respectable place in the hearts of many, including Shigeru Miyamoto himself, but come on, let's be real. You don't see Captain Olimar go-karting with Mario and the gang. 
It's worth mentioning that the series finally reached high enough status that Nintendo saw fit to release a spin-off, Hey Pikmin. Nobody likes Hey Pikmin. I think a big part of my fascination with the Pikmin series' growth is that it relates to the fact that it's one of the first times I could see a franchise really forming. I told you, the series is like 18 now. I'm 25, so I was around the block when Pikmin first hit the scene, and I got to see it as it first came out, and as it went on over time. All the other Nintendo games I liked, their series all started before I was born, or when I was still a chaotic neutral toddler. Pikmin was the first chance I had to see Nintendo throw something at the wall and have it stick, then build upon it over time. The same could probably be said for Smash Brothers, but I'm never really sure how to count that as one of Nintendo's series, since it's a big crossover. So there's my take on the Pikmin series and Nintendo's lineup, and some of my personal feelings. But I'm here to talk about the game that started it all, the original Pikmin, so let's get to that already. The basics to know for people who weren't aware is that it's a real-time strategy genre game where you control the little spaceman Olimar and his army of up to 100 Pikmin, little plant alien things. Olimar has to guide, employ, safekeep, and just generally manage the Pikmin as they explore the environment, searching for 30 rocket ship pieces. that he can blast off this alien planet and go home because he crashed here. He only has 30 days to do this, though, and that's 30 daytimes. Night is no go. Also, the Pikmin come in three types. Red, who are fire immune and do more damage to the enemies. Yellows, who can carry bombs and be thrown higher. And Blues, who can swim. These functionalities were expanded upon in different games, with Yellows even gaining an immunity to electricity, and then in Pikmin 3, everyone could carry bombs. Reds were a little outclassed for a while in 2, before coming back to prominence in 3, while also being outclassed by the winged Pikmin and stuff. Blues just kind of have it rough. All they ever have is that they can swim. I guess they consider that important enough that they never really feel the need to add on to that, but another thing is that the Blues are always the last Pikmin type to be unlocked. Even in the games where you have five different types... The blues are introduced pretty late, especially in 3. It's kind of egregious, I'd almost say. Pikmin management is everything. You need the right ones at the right times, and you need the right amounts. You also need to babysit the Pikmin, because it's very easy for them to die. Unattended Pikmin will also die automatically at the end of every day. And if Olimar doesn't escape after the 30th day, he will also die. Underneath the cuteness and the gorgeous scenery, which still holds up, actually, this is honestly a dark game. The game wastes no time in warning you that nature is cruel. Pikmin has a unique atmosphere about itself that even the later games don't ever quite replicate. Between the plot, the time limit, and even most of the area music, this game has a melancholic tone all around. For example, none of the songs are particularly happy, except maybe the end-of-day jingle. Peaceful, sure, but never happy. It never feels uplifting, just slow and quiet. Pikmin 2 and 3 introduce more lively music, more upbeat tunes. I wouldn't go as far as to say that either of those soundtracks are a betrayal of Pikmin's identity, 
but the tone has definitely shifted. Same for the plot. Olimar is fighting for survival in the first game, while in Pikmin 2, the stakes have noticeably been dropped. Now it's, hey, get our company out of debt, and the urgency is almost completely gone due to a lack of time limit. Heck, the plot of Pikmin 2 really just makes the plot of Pikmin 1 even more urgent. If Olimar dies on the planet, then on top of not seeing his family, he will also let his company fall into ruin. The plot of Pikmin 3 makes things a little more dramatic again with a food shortage, but none of that somberness from the first game ever shows up. A lot of the silliness from Pikmin 2 is retained in 3, and I don't mind this shift in direction because it gives the first game a bit more of an identity, but I can't help but wonder what could have been if they never made a sequel. Unlike fellow GameCube launch title Luigi's Mansion, the time limit in Pikmin is for real. Daytime on the planet lasts approximately 12 to 16 minutes, give or take, and you only have 30 of these days to do what you need. And the first day will always play out the same, so it's more like 29 days. So this game suffers from the Majora's Mask problem, which is what I refer to when I think of a game that's like, oh no, the entire game is timed, everybody panic! Both Pikmin and Majora's Mask have their share of issues, but the one I've seen repel people the most is the stress that comes from the time limit. But just like Majora's Mask, Pikmin is a lot more forgiving than at first glance. Well, with the time limit, anyway. For starters, the first day grants you infinite time. There's not a lot you can do on the first day, but it's good for easing you into the game. Now, once you're more familiar, you can always go back to the impact site and replenish your supply of Pikmin. It's the closest thing this game has to an all-out safe zone. Just as long as you have at least one day to spare, that is. Another safety net is the fact that out of 30 ship parts, only 25 of them are mandatory. Sadly, it's not just any 25, it's a specific 25. And I don't recall a clear indication over which ones are which. The game usually treats them the same. So it's likely, and prudent, to just go for the full 30 anyway. But if you're cutting it close, it might be worthwhile to cross-examine an online guide and figure out which ones you have, which ones you don't. Maybe you're already set. The final boss in the final area is also incredibly difficult, almost unfair, and it's guarding the final ship piece you can possibly encounter, but it's optional. So you can end the game on a really challenging note, but you don't have to. You don't have to do this really hard thing just to avoid the bad ending. And I think, while the boss could have been a little more fair, I think it actually is a bit more fair in the Japanese version, it doesn't really, you know, end the game on a bad note unless it's on the player's terms, which is something I can appreciate. The early GameCube era was still a little bit before Nintendo tried making their games more accessible, like they would do in the Wii era and beyond. The GameCube was kind of the last vestige of the, eh, figure it out yourself, good luck, era of gaming. Or at least it was the transitioning grounds. Pikmin 1 can be a very brutal game if you're going into it after having already played the other two, and you've never played this one before. While I said that the time limit isn't as bad as it might seem, it is inflexible. Pikmin 2 had no time limit, and 
While a time limit does exist in Pikmin 3, it can be extended based on the fruits you gather. You can easily build yourself up to 80 days, which is more than enough. There's only one temporary section where the time limit becomes a problem again, but again, it's temporary. Meanwhile, in Pikmin 1, 30 days, take it or leave it. Also, a lot of minor things that happen, like how Pikmin can trip which is about as useful and fun as it is on Super Smash Bros. Brawl. Another rough spot is that if a large amount of Pikmin die, you can return the next day and find a few unplucked Pikmin waiting in the ground of the battlefield. This sounds nice, but these count as deployed Pikmin, so you can't use your full 100 because, oops, way off in the corner in a hard-to-reach spot, you have a few quote-unquote active Pikmin already. And while it could be nice to let them go from leaves to flowers, improving their performance, they can wither back down into leaves if you're slow. There are also more than a few glitches with Pikmin getting pushed under the geometry of the level, usually because an idle Pikmin will stand like a lump and get pushed around by the construction project going on near them. This is especially bad in the forest navel. I've seen a monster in the forest navel accidentally push several Pikmin under the floor and into their death just because it was going through its dying animation. There's also how one of the mandatory ship pieces there can fall off a cliff and ruin your entire game unless you restart the day. For absolute clarity, this is also in the forest navel. This entire region has to be one of the glitchiest in the whole game. I would attribute that to its unique layout. It's the only area in the game that has a lot of tiers going up and down, and it's the only area with bottomless pits. I think they realized how problematic this was, because when Pikmin 2 recycled most of the locations from the original, the forest navel was suspiciously absent. I'm also compelled to mention that the camera for the new play control version of this game can be a little weird sometimes due to splitting focus between where Olimar faces and where the cursor faces. This is something that Proton John kept referring to during the Let's Play that the Runaway guys did because he was the player for that one. And while I don't really have experience with that version of the game, it is a recurring point that I thought was worth mentioning because people usually tout the new play control as the superior version, maybe not as much as it as we first thought. Just something to think about. All in all, Pikmin 1 can be a little rough around the edges, and, and I'd say it gives you the rudest awakening of the trilogy. After you leave the Harmless Impact site, the first proper area, the Forest of Hope opens up, and it is home to a few nasty beasts. The game throws you at them, like, yep, this is what Pikmin is like. Good luck, have fun. Bulborbs all over the place, narrow bridges over water, the burrowing Snagrit trio. The game just has this entire rogues gallery. They all want a piece of you. Or your Pikmin. Then the next area is the wide and glitch-prone Forest Naval, where you get your third type of Pikmin and you start having to think about when to use certain ones. Unless you are really really talented at the game and can bypass some of these with exploits and tricks. And then after the forest navel, we get to the massive distant spring where the enemies are even more powerful, including the deadly, but optional, smoky prog, if you get there early enough in the calendar. 
each location is harder than the last, to the point where you can eventually return to the Forest of Hope and laugh at how quaint everything is in comparison. But as a result, it's the type of game where repeat playthroughs are usually a bit easier than the first one. Incidentally, the final trial is probably about as easy to navigate as the impact site. The game expects you to use all three Pikmin types in harmony for one final test, but it's just one puzzle. And I've heard that technically you don't even need the red Pikmin to solve this puzzle. But the real difficulty is hidden behind the boss battle, the single enemy waiting at the end, the Emperor of All Blacks, the final boss of the game. This thing is a jerk. It is one of the few enemies that has no cap on how many Pikmin it can kill. It's only vulnerable on its face, and often can't be attacked without stunning it, which involves risking losing more Pikmin, and its jump attack doesn't even leave a shadow, at least in the Western releases. Again, I think it was easier in the Japanese version for some reason, which came first, if I'm not mistaken, so I'm not sure what was going on there. And, of course, the camera. It's no wonder they turned this Emperor Bulblax into a joke in Pikmin 2. Yeah, like I said, Pikmin can be a little harsh. It's the first game in the series, so there were bound to be a few kinks to iron out. And it's still before Nintendo was too concerned with going easy on the players. I like that about Pikmin, though. It's something I can appreciate more as a witness than as a player, but I think the difficulty serves to hammer in just what kind of situation Olimar's dealing with. He's trapped on a foreign planet, his only help are the creatures at the bottom of a food chain, and he will definitely die if he can't make a miracle happen. Nothing about this gives any indication that it's going to be easy. Olimar is an interesting twist on the silent protagonist. He doesn't ever speak in this game, but that's only because he has no one to talk to. We still have his thoughts given to us. He will observe the flora, fauna, and random objects around him, and narrate a few of his thoughts. Then, at the end of the day, we get a captain's log, and he'll summarize the events that have happened. It's a little bit random what he'll say each day, because it depends on what you actually do. And there are more logs than there are days, so it encourages repeat playthroughs where you try different things. Unless you just want to go to, like, the Pikmin wiki and read them all there, because they're all listed, even a few unused captain's logs that never have a chance to get displayed. Olimar gets more desperate as the deadline looms ever closer. And if you lose too many Pikmin in a day, Olimar will be appropriately horrified. We really get into his head with this game, and it's a shame that we never get this level of intimacy with Olimar ever again, as weird as it sounds to phrase it that way. To go along with the wackier tone of the rest of the series, Olimar is a little more comedic in the later entries, though... When you think about it, I guess the circumstances would allow for it. He's not really in as dire straits in Pikmin 2 and 3 anymore. Well, mostly 3. Well, uh, kind of. It's, it's a little weird. I mentioned before that the time limit is no joke. I keep emphasizing how Olimar will perish when time runs out. And let me tell you, it's not a fade to black, whoops, you messed up, ending... The game will play out an entire bad ending cinematic. It will show Olimar being dead. And it's not graphic by any means, but it is a little haunting. Also a little silly, but altogether very uncomfortable. At least for me. 
As far as I understand, this is the only game in the series to have an entire bad ending. There's no pressure in Pikmin 2, and while you can run out of time in Pikmin 3, the sequence plays out more like a glorified game over screen. And a lot of the misfortune is left to be inferred, rather than outright showing you what happens to Alf and the gang. You're even given the opportunity to restart from right then in Pikmin 3. So yeah, another touch to Pikmin 1 that makes it more unique from its successors. Now for today's favorite songs. I really only have two favorite songs from this game. The first is the music for The Distant Spring. It's just so serene and tranquil. It's very emblematic of the concept. I almost think of it when I hear those words. All the area music in the game is all dynamic music. The instruments will change a little bit if you're near an enemy and when the sun starts to go down, stuff like that. It's a really nice touch. Other favorite music is for the final trial, the, the last level of the game. It's stuck with me ever since I first heard it. It's just so unsettling, eerie even. The music sounds happy on the surface, but pay attention to the background and you can hear this continuous, I don't know, chime noise. It really adds an ominous element to the whole song. Like, everything looks fine, but there's a horrible monster hiding and waiting for the right time. The song gets more and less threatening at various points as it goes on, too. Really interesting. This is what you have to listen to on your way to the showdown with the Emperor Bullblacks, who, let me repeat, is the only monster in the entire final trial. So, I'd say it fits. Overall, I maintain that Pikmin is a very unique game, even within its own series. Maybe a bit of a relic of its time. It's a game that definitely needs to exist, I think, and I'll always be grateful for what it does. I'd like to talk more about the Pikmin series in the future. It's one of those series where I never played a whole lot of it, but I could just talk about it for hours if I had the chance. So be sure to follow the BitCast on Twitter if you want to stay up to date, maybe catch those Pikmin episodes, and subscribe to the show on Podcast One's site or app, or I don't know, is, is iTunes still going to be around? I hear that they're going to take that down. I'm not really sure what what's going to happen with that, but, well, you know, Twitter, there's still that. And anyway, I'll see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.